is called the, the Beautiful Community. And I wanted to just share from my heart a little bit today. And Isaiah 62 is our Old Testament passage from the lectionary. And it was just, it was just so appropriate. You know, I think about churches that sustain. You know, all over the world, really, and certainly all over our nation, there are, are, are churches that have sustained for, for decades. And these, these churches, whether they're in uh, the urban uh, areas of our country or, or the rural areas or the suburbs, they're like witnesses when, when they're functioning properly and they're following God's word, they're witnesses of something greater to this life, something transcendent, something eternal, something bigger. And, and it's so important. The sustainability of a church is so important. And, and I've, I've been to all types of churches and I've noticed that the, the, the true beauty of a church are, are these kind of core people that it takes a while to, to get to know who they are, but they're, they're people who, who endure change and they endure seasons of the church. And, and in most cases, they endure pastors who come and go and, and staff that come and go. And they're just people that God has called and God has just said, okay, this is the community where you're going to um, live life and you're going to sustain and you're going to give yourself to this community. And there's going to be like a decade decade-long presence and witness for Christ. And I want to tell you, there is nothing more beautiful in this world than God's people that come together for God's purposes. So when I think of Isaiah 62, I see two different interpretations. And, and, and they're, they're, we're going to look at both of those. And, and the first interpretation is from the perspective of the prophet. And, and he says this in verse 1, I will not keep silent... Because of Zion. Now, what is Zion? Zion is a part of Jerusalem that, that as, as God begins to project what his plan for the world is, he talks about Jerusalem when it's in its most ideal place. It's a place that God chooses. So God chooses Zion. So now we know that it extends, even though Jerusalem still is special, it's not just uh, about that geographical location. It's the place that God has chosen to dwell, which is you and me. God chooses to dwell with us. It's a beautiful thing. I, I want to parenthetically just say something because I don't want to forget to tell you this. It's Tuesday night. There were, there were maybe 20 of us here for the Holy Spirit seminar. And I'm going to tell you that it was one of the most powerful times with the Lord that's ever, I've ever been part of in this room in 11 years. Why? Because God was with his people. God shows up when his people show up. And he shows up when his people who are hungry for him show up. And so that's what Zion is. It's this idea of it's the dwelling place of God. And yes, Jerusalem is special. You've heard me preach on that, and I'll preach on that again. But, but the, the Zion is in our heart. It's that place that where God dwells and his people get together. And, and so here it is. I will not keep silent. Listen to this resolve because of Zion. And I will not keep still because of Jerusalem until her righteousness shines like a bright light and her salvation like a flaming torch. It's this determination, and, and we're, we're interpreting this one, one way and this one slant, this determination to say, let God's people, and whenever God's people gather, let's shine. Let's not be dull. Let, let's, not be, uh, let's not have dark shadows. Let's shine brightly. 
Let's be vibrant. Let's be a flaming torch that brings purity to the world, that heats cold places, that brings light to darkness. This is the call of the church. And why do we do that? And guys, I've got to push back. I feel sorry for you because us pastors the last three decades have done you a disservice. We have created consumers, but you are not a consumer. You are a builder of the church. You are not, you are not just one to, that are having your needs met. That may be the entryway into kingdom life. That may be the entryway to the family of God. You're like, this is great. My needs are getting met. But somewhere there has to be a transference to say that I can't just be a taker. I can't just be a receiver. I've got to be one who is the, the pillar, the stable force. I have to be the one who is building God's kingdom, building Zion here. And, and I love what what was expressed in the Psalm, Psalm 122, verse eight and nine. The, the, this scripture is not in your notes, but I, I believe it's on the screen. It says, because of my brothers and friends, I will say, may peace be in you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will pursue your prosperity. This idea of like, I'm gonna make the community great. I'm gonna make the church great. I'm gonna make the men's Bible study great. I'm gonna make that women's Bible study great. I'm gonna make that children's service great. Not for me, not for my ministry, not for my kind of uh, need to like boost my own ego. Because how many know that the call to ministry, it's a huge ego boost. Preaching is a huge ego boost. I mean, that's, that's one of the big problems us preachers have. It's so egocentric, you know? It's about me. It's about my story. It's about me getting compliments. And, and all of these things, um, all of these things pale in comparison to the love we give to the community. When we can say here, for the sake of my brothers and sisters, I will say, peace be with you. Uh, because of the house of the Lord of our God, I will pursue your prosperity. And that is an act of love. I'm doing it not for my benefit. I am contributing because there's people I love who need a strong community. All right, so that's the first interpretation. And I told myself today, I'm like, I'm just gonna like chill today. I'm not gonna yell. I'm gonna be like intellectually preached today. But the more sleepy you guys look and y'all look sleepy today, I'm gonna go for it, all right? I hope this thing's last. Pastor Aubrey built this. By the way, if you see anything with wood around here, it was either Pastor Aubrey or Jonathan Kidd. So if you see something with wood, just thank both of them, okay? Because they've done a great job on it. I'm gonna get them in like a, in a wood-making competition, you know? I'm gonna be like, hey, Pastor Aubrey, man, Jonathan made that over there. It's pretty cool. <laughs> All right. All right, got some laughs. You're awake. Here we go. Here's the, here's the circuit, second interpretation. And it's really probably the, most, the more accurate interpretation. In fact, it is. It's God is speaking to his church. And now look at it from that perspective. Go back to verse one. He says this, I will not keep silent because of Zion. And I will not keep still because of Jerusalem until her righteousness shines like a bright light and her salvation like a flaming torch. God is saying this. I'm going to keep speaking my word. 
I'm going to keep challenging my people. God says, I'm going to keep showing up in fresh ways, in new ways, because I'm not done with my people. I'm going to continue to challenge them. I'm going to continue to anoint them. I'm going to continue to show my presence with them, because how many know when the presence of God is with us, it's a transformational power. You know, you cannot encounter the presence of God without being changed. And God says, I'm going to keep showing up and I'm going to keep bringing my word. His word is already established. I'm not talking about adding to scripture, but I'm talking about a fresh message from the Lord from scripture delivered through his, his pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets and delivered through those who lead worship and delivered through our conversation and delivered through our relationship. God says, I'm going to keep sending my word. You see, we're not just receptors of content. We're not just receptors of content. We are a community. We are a people and we receive God's word as a family. We receive God's word as a unit. We receive God, God's word together because frankly, none of us are smart enough, wise enough, or have lived long enough to hear God by ourselves. I'm going to say that again. I like that. None of us are wise enough, smart enough, or will live long enough to hear God by ourselves. And our individualism, we, we, we don't want to hear that. You know, there was a year of my life that I thought God had said something. And I would have guaranteed, and I've had people do this to me, and they've said, I know God's spoken to me and no one else, no one else, I don't care what anyone else says, I know God has spoken to me. I could have said that, and I was wrong for one year of my life. I was because we, 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 we are part of a family. We're part of a community. And the reason why we have to hear God together is because what happens to me affects Sarah and Nelson. It, what, what happens to me affects everyone here. I'm not gonna start naming people's names because then I'll forget someone's name and hurt their feelings. And I forget my own family's name when I'm preaching sometimes. You know, it's just like all these names come in here. But, 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 our decisions affect the community. That's why, but let me just tell you, tell you this, and this is something my friend Nick has continued to, he, he's continued to champion this saying, and it's so wise. Even your marriage, you know, your marriage isn't just about you, it's about the community. So don't, don't just think, well, we're not happy. Well, you know, the health of your marriage affects everyone you touch. And that's why it deserves work. And I just want to tell you guys, if your wives want to come on February 2nd and you're not willing to come, I'm calling you all kinds of names in my mind, so I'm just going to move on. <laughs> Get with it. You're, you're, you're at the very least a spiritual wimp. I'm not lost in my notes. I'm just letting that sink in. I am tired of what we used to call football pansies. I'm tired of spiritual pansies. I mean, it's just, it's just time to grow up. So here's, here's what happens. 
As we talk about the beautiful community, I have somewhat disjointed observations today and time is, 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 is coming to a close. Here's a principle that I've lived by and I've seen it come true now. Ministry is created through relationships. Ministry is created through relationships. That's why the community is beautiful. Ministry is not, is not just created through information, though information may help. As we spend time with each other, God works through our friendships. And I can tell you that every, every open door that God has ever, has ever created in my life, I can connect to a relationship. I'd have to think about that for time, but I, can't, I cannot imagine there not being an open door that God didn't open through relationship. And that's why Satan wants to isolate us and Satan wants to get us by ourselves and Satan wants us to be disconnected from the church and disconnected from the community. Because he knows that the interactions we're having today are opening doors we can't even imagine tomorrow. You so uh, a saying that is, is so helpful, um, our relationships today are the answers to our prayers tomorrow. And you know it's true is that someday you're going to need someone to get you out of a jam. Someday you're going to need a reference. Someday you're going to need a connection. Someday you're going to need a friend. And so you invest in relationships today so those relationships will come back tomorrow. And that's why parties are really important. We, we need to celebrate more. We need to party more. We need to hang out more. Our gospel reading today is from John chapter 2. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Now already, I mean, people, in the olden days, people, olden days, like the 80s and 90s, um, you know, it was always, it was always the, the old stereotype was, you know, men skipping weddings and so forth. But that was before they were such a big deal that you had to RSVP like months before and, and all of the content. But weddings are important because the culmination of history will happen in a wedding. It says, so Jesus went to this wedding in verse 2 and they were invited to the wedding as well. In verse 3, when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told them they don't have wine. And what does that have to do with me, woman? Uh, Jesus asked, my hour has not come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been there for the Jewish purification, and each contained 20 or 30 gallons. And fill the jars with water, Jesus told them, so they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. And when the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, there's the miracle. He did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his many signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, it was good to read the gospel reading today. But the point for this message is, is that Jesus, a God of all creation, who was only here 33 years, took time to socialize. And he took time to celebrate. 
and he participated in the customs of his day. And he wasn't antisocial. He happened to get up really early at times to pray, but he still had this rhythm of life in which he worked as a carpenter. And at another wedding, to honor his mom, ministry was created. And, and some of us are so preoccupied with this whole concept of ministry that we're not really living life. And I just want to encourage you to like live life, go to weddings and go to reunions and go to parties and be punctual to work. Don't party too late so that you oversleep and stay off your phone during work when it's not appropriate so that you're giving a good day's wage and continue to live life well, build relationships and watch what God does in your life. Watch what he does. Instead of living in this future that has not come, take hold of what you have now and knowing that all of the relationships that are forming right now are setting things up that you can't even anticipate in the future. My daughter, Abby, is, a, is at Lee University, as you probably know if you've heard me speak. Um, it's in Cleveland, Tennessee, right outside of Chattanooga. And, and we, we, we have some form of communication every day, but it, it can be re- rather quick. And, and Beth and Abby have more in-depth communication. They're on FaceTime and kind of, kind of a real-time kind of connection. So I usually say, what's Abby doing today? Or what's Abby up to? You know, that's how I keep up with. So just, just yesterday, last night, Friday night, I was like, hey, so what, or, or what's Abby up to? It was Saturday morning, excuse me. What's Abby up to today? She said, well, she's meeting her friend Riley for breakfast this morning in Chattanooga. I thought, what freshman in college is having breakfast meetings on Saturday morning? Like, are you kidding me? Couldn't they have done lunch or in the afternoon, I mean, it's just kind of like, what? What is this? And so we, we laughed about that and talked that through. And Abby has had this characteristic all through high school, now into college, is she invests in relationships. And so she, 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 schedules, she schedules meetings from morning to the afternoon. And she has lots of friends. She has lots and lots of friends. She has lots of friends and a variety of them, not just people her age, people older than her, people younger than her. The reason why she did that is I don't know all the particulars, but she's investing in relationships. And I, I want to remind you of this in the beautiful community we have. Relationships are formed through effort. Relationships are formed through effort. Put that down. You can read later. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 11 talks about all of these different gifts that God gives the church. And, and we often just interpret those as individual, like, where's my gift? You know, like, what do I have? I mean, and there's value to that. That's part of CIL forward step two. But we may forget the overarching message is we need each other. <laughs> and we are given individual gifts not to enhance our individuality as much as to enhance our community. And the community is greater because we are different. Community is better because we have different personalities, we have different 
backgrounds. We have different religious backgrounds. In our church, we're a multi-generational church, and which is more and more difficult to find these days. You know, the, 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 the churches with rapid growth are just like one demographic, but I don't really know if that's, that's really the, what the Lord wants ultimately. Like if someone's 15 years older than you, you can hang out with them. All right, someone's 20 years younger with you, you can talk to them. That's something beautiful. That's something good. That's something that, that builds the kingdom. That's something that's transformational. That's something that is Jesus-alike. We, we, we want, as our, as our area becomes more diverse, we, we need to reflect that diversity. We, we should desire that. That's a good thing. That's a reflective of the kingdom of God. So, so we want to be mindful of those. And I think about, um, you know, that's a big part of my life. I, I teach on the college level diversity in the, in, in the workplace and, and diversity in, in church life. And, and it, it's, I have lots to say on that. And, and I guess this isn't the time to say all of that now. But, but I, what I want to say is the most important thing for body life is in our attitudes, man. I mean, people, people feel if they're welcomed or not, they feel it, they feel it. And so we have to cultivate healthy habits. We have to, we have to vigorously cut off trends. People that we really have respected in our lives, in our past, were completely wrong and out of God's will and their attitudes towards diversity. So we, we have to cut off those habits and we have to cut off uh, th- those types of perspective and attitudes. And we have to vigorously try to have the perspective of, of other people and to understand, understand the, the world that we live in as we reflect Christ. So we're talking about this, this sense of community. And I love the community we have. And I love that you're part of it. And I love that I get to be part of it. But we're not just benefiting from social cohesion. That's not it. Guys, I know that maybe at times you feel more bonded to the Rotary Club. You feel more bonded to the group of parents who who lead your kid's ball team. Maybe you feel more bonded to your motorcycle group or the Domino's playing group that meets every Tuesday morning. Which, if that really exists, I'd like to know because I like playing Domino's. I used to play it in college. I'd slap slap that ivory down like, boom, you know, just like I did earlier. So was wondering about that. But we're not just we're not just like benefiting from from interaction because there's a presence. There's a divine presence that comes and shows up when we gather. That's why things happen divinely. Divinely. I I, I personally like the fact that we're people with a variety. I, I like the fact that we're people who who aren't just completely dependent on only the church for our relational connections. It's healthy to have various relational connections, and I certainly do. But when we stop investing in the relationships within our community, it puts us at a spiritually vulnerable place. And all you have to do is observe lives around you to know that it's true. We believe in a divine presence. That's why the last point I want to make is this, is that effort is anointed through prayer. Effort is anointed through prayer. So guys, if we, don't, if we don't become a praying people, then we're not a people of God's presence. We're just, we're just people who get together and like to eat. Right? We're just people who, who, who get together and like to gossip. 
where people get together and like to bemoan culture and, and, and not, not really invite God's presence. We, we are like a people of a presence. Like, like God's here. God's tangible. God's with us. So I want to go back to our text today because it's so powerful. This is, this is when God is talking about Zion. He's talking about a future. He's talking about his plans. The, the last part of Isaiah chapter 60 through 66 is projecting the future, projecting what God's going to do in his people when he brings them back from Babylon. But now projecting what God's going to do with us as his people as he culminates history and, and as heaven comes to earth and as God leads and reigns and becomes king. And he says this, you will be a glorious crown in the Lord's hand and a royal diadem in the palm of your God. Verse four, you will no longer be called deserted and your land will no longer be called desolate. Now God's speaking to a people who had lost their national identity, who, who, who they, were, they were under the oppression of a foreign nation that their gods had been oppressed. Their religion was not the most popular religion of the day. They couldn't trust in political might. They couldn't trust in power and in, in, in military might. They couldn't trust in the principles of the world. And they could have been called and had been called deserted and desolate. The land itself was that. The leaders had left the land. There was, not the, the, there was not the advancement that there had been under Solomon and subsequent kings who had followed God. But here's a part I love. Instead, you will be called, and there's a specific name here that the, tra- the translators already help us. My delight is in her. <laughs> this is incredible. This is incredible. Instead of desolate, God says, now your name is my delight is in her. And your land, instead of being called uh, excuse me, instead of deserted, it's called uh, my delight is in her. And then instead of desolate, your land is called married. For the Lord delights in you and your land will be married. In other words, obviously land doesn't marry, but it's a picture of vibrancy and life and production. And this idea that this is not something that's been abandoned, it's been chosen and it's flourishing. And this is what the Lord says about his people, that some may call you deserted, some may call you desolated. But the Lord says, my delight is in you, my people, and you are married. The Lord says, I will delight in you. And as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you. And as a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. This is exactly why later on in scripture in Ephesians chapter five, centuries later, Paul echoed Isaiah's beautiful portrait of a bride God's bride and Israel. And, he, and he, he talked about valuing her and identifying himself with her and purifying her. And he gave a new name. And when God gives a new name, he gives a new identity. And often, when a, when a, well, often historically, when a bride becomes married, she gets a new name. And this is what the Lord does for us. He puts a new name on us. We're no longer desolate. We're no longer deserted. We are chosen. We are joint with God. We are under his protection. We are under his care. He delights in us. This is why we are a beautiful community. Guys, we are not just a group of people who are just kind of maintaining some kind of uh, kind of presence or identity and paying the bills and just, just moving along. We are people chosen of God, given an identity, and he has set his delight 
on us and in us and through us. And he gives us a new name. He gives us a new name. Who knows? Maybe the Lord's going to give us our church a new name. Oh, maybe the Lord's going to do that, right? Maybe, maybe it's a new identity. Maybe everything we've known in the past is changing. Let's stand together. Maybe, maybe everything in your life, maybe a lot of you don't really care about the church today in that way. Um, some of you do because I spoke to that at the beginning of the sermon. Some of you are pillars. Some of you are builders. Some of you are stayers. Some of you are, 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 are sustainers. Some of you are called by God to just prop up a community and you're, gonna, you're, you're, you're just going to weather the storms, right? You're going to fight through the adversity. You're going you're gonna to be there during the tough times. This church would not exist today if there had not been a group of people who had done that. There's a group of people for, for at least two years or more without a pastor just kept showing up, kept showing up, kept praying it in. Several are in this room today, kept just believing God had a plan for this property. God had a plan for this building. God had a plan for what he wanted to do. And I thank God for that. Others of you today, you're not thinking that way and that's okay. But the Lord wants you to hear this. The Lord wants you to hear this today is that that he has set his love upon you. He has set his identity on you. He has given you a new name. Let's pray.